if you were going to sit down with your friend, maybe it's in the workroom, at work, break perhaps, maybe it's at the lunch table at school, maybe it's standing in your yard talking to your neighbor, and they ask you, tell me what the church is, how would you answer? What is the church? I think that you would probably try to tell them about certain characteristics of the church. Qualities that the church possesses. Things that help you to better appreciate it. What we're going to do during our time this week is to look at some of those qualities. We're going to call them hallmarks of the church. I don't know if you're familiar with what a hallmark actually is. If I ask you the question, what's a hallmark, someone would certainly say it's a greeting card, and that's true. But a hallmark is a mark of authenticity. It is a stamp. That name came to be used in the early 1700s in England. There was a counting house called Goldsmith's Hall. And so when precious metals like silver or gold or platinum came through, they would examine the metals and they would make sure that they were authentic, that they were genuine. And if they passed certain tests, they would receive a stamp, a mark, authenticity, a hallmark. I'd like to think today about several of the hallmarks of the church, beginning this morning with the hallmark of identity. As we get there, I want you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew 16. The text in Matthew chapter 16 is not an unfamiliar one to you. You remember that Jesus and his apostles are having a conversation here. He's asked them a question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's interesting. As he asks the question, he actually gives the answer. When he uses that phrase, Son of Man, he's referring back to the Son of Man described in the prophecies of Daniel in the way, way back. The one who presents himself to God, the Messiah. But he wants to know, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they gave a variety of answers. Well, some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And it was true that Jesus had qualities that were like all of those men. He preached that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, just like John did. He taught a strict moral doctrine, just like John did. He was a man of great power, just like the prophet Elijah. And he was a man of compassion, just like Jeremiah. But Jesus, although he was like John and like Elijah and like Jeremiah, was none of those. And so he asked, who do you say that I am? And you know that Peter is the one who answered, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus was pleased with Peter's response. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. 
If the only thing you had in Scripture was that short statement, there are some things that you could know about the identity of the church. Things that might help you if you were talking to your friend about what the church is. You could tell them at least that the church is founded upon the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's not just a man, that He's much more than that. And you could tell them that the church belongs to Jesus. It's not my church or your church, it is His church. Upon this rock I will build my church, our Lord said. And you could tell them that this church that Jesus promised to build would not be defeated even by the gates of of Hades. What is the church? With that in mind, I'd like to take just a few moments this morning to read what the Bible itself says in response to that question. What is the church? Number one, open your Bibles with me first to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to spend more time on this text in our Bible class hour, but I want you to notice what Paul is saying to Timothy here. He wants to come and be with his son in the faith. He longs to be present with him, but he also understands that there are things that can hinder that. And so he says, if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, if your friend had asked the question, what is the church? One of the passages to which you could turn to answer that question would be 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And you could say, well, the Bible says that the church is the house of God. That's a pretty simple statement. You could also say, as you see on the screen, that the Bible says that the church is the flock of God. Paul had the opportunity to go to meet with the Ephesian elders in Acts the 20th chapter. He had spent three years of his ministry there and so he cared deeply for those individuals. And as he was talking to them about their responsibility, he said, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. What is... The church. Well, the church is the house of God. Paul told Timothy that. But the church is also the flock of God because the elders have a responsibility to shepherd the flock. And so we could say, if we're simply trying to give a Bible answer, what is the church? We can say, well, the church is house of God. The church is the flock of God. You could also say, if you're simply trying to give a Bible answer, that the church is the spokesman for God. Paul was complimenting the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and talking about how they indeed had sounded forth the gospel message throughout all of the world. And as he wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians the third chapter, he also said, this is the church's responsibility. He said to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the church? If we made a list, we could begin by saying it is the house of God. We could say it is the flock of God. 
We could say it is the spokesman for God. It is through the church that God's message is proclaimed to the world, that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. But the church isn't just the house of God or the flock of God or the spokesman for God. You could also say, if you're talking about the church, it is the family of God. And so you can continue in Ephesians, the third chapter, and you can see what the Apostle Paul says about the relationship that we have with one another. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And so your friend asks, What is the church? And you say, Well, I'm going to give a Bible answer. The church is the house of God. The church is the flock of God. The church is the spokesman for God. The church is the family of God. And you could add to that, the church is the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 22, the Apostle Paul says, And he, talking about God the Father, put all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and gave him to be head over the church, which is his body the fullness of Him who fills all in all. What is the church? Well, the house of God. Paul told Timothy, if I'm delayed, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. What's the church? The church is the flock of God. What is the church? The church is the spokesman for God. What is the church? The church is the family of God. What is the church? The church is the body of Christ. And what is the church? The church is the bride of Christ. You're familiar with what Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5. He was writing to husbands and he told them to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The bride of Christ. Now what have you done? You've talked to your friend. They've asked you, tell me what the church is. And you say, well, I'm going to give you Bible for your answer. I'm going to tell you the church is the house of God. The church is not just the house of God, it's the flock of God. The church is not just the house of God and the flock of God, it's the spokesman for God. It's not just the house or the flock or the spokesman, it's the family. And you can add to that, it's also the body of Christ, it's also the bride of Christ. There! That's what the church is. I want to stop for just a second. If you didn't know anything about the church and someone answered you in that way, would you be satisfied with that? Now, we've given Bible answers. What's the church? House of God. What's the church? The flock of God. What's the church? Spokesman for God, family of God, body of Christ, bride of Christ. That's what the church is. Let me suggest to you that I wouldn't be satisfied. What I would probably say, if I had no knowledge of the church, if I was skeptical, is so what? So you can tell me that the church is all of these things and you've read Bible passages to me and that's wonderful. That doesn't help me to understand what you mean. So what's the next step? 
The next step requires that we understand why the Bible uses metaphors. Why it draws analogies between certain things and other things. What it's actually doing when it's using the analogy of the church as the house of God is seeking to help you understand a function of the church. A role that the church performs. Something that the church has the obligation to do. And so if our friend asks us, you tell me about the church, what is it? And I simply respond, house of God, flock of God, spokesman for God, family of God, body of Christ, and bride of Christ. I've given them a bunch of metaphors. But I haven't explained why those phrases are used. So why? Why use these various terms of designation to describe the church? What scripture is doing is this. It's trying to give you a picture of what a healthy, functioning body should look like. What is the church? The church is the house of God. What does that mean? It means the church has an obligation to stand firm. I want you to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 for just a second. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul, as we noted earlier, wanted to go to Timothy. He wanted to be with him. If I'm delayed, Timothy, I'm writing this letter for this purpose. This is why I'm writing to you so that you'll know how to conduct yourself. Where? In the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And then he uses these descriptive terms. He uses the term the pillar and the term the ground of the truth. Any of you built a house lately? Some of you probably have. Some of you are probably in the construction business. If that is the case, then you know the importance of having both a proper foundation to support the building that you are constructing and also having the proper beams to support the building as it stands. That's what Paul has in mind when he's writing to Timothy, describing the church as the pillar and ground of the truth. What is the church? The church has the responsibility of supporting the truth. The church has the responsibility of undergirding the truth. Why is that necessary? Because you and I live in a culture and a world in which truth is under attack. We live in a world in which some people, when truth is brought up, will simply say, who can really know anything anyway? What do you mean, truth? How can we really know anything to be true? We live in a world in which some, although they might say, yes, there is such a thing as truth, that they would privatize that truth and say, well, yes, but it really only applies to me and it only applies to you however you see fit. And so truth to them is not objective, it is subjective. It's all about the person. And so I'll do whatever it is that I want to do and I'll live however I want to live. And we live in a world in which some might say, well, no, there is truth, and yes, truth is more than just subjective, but let's just simply do those things that are for the best for the most. You know what the church has a responsibility to do? It has a responsibility to teach others that the truth is in Jesus. It has a responsibility to teach others that it is through the objective truth of the gospel that one can have their sins washed away. It has the obligation to stand firm. And so 
If I use the analogy, the church is the house of God, I have to be able to explain what I mean by that. Well, the same is true of the flock of God. The church is the flock of God. What does that mean? It means that the church is expected to follow what God would have us to do. In particular, in local congregational settings, the church has the obligation to follow those who are over them in the Lord. Elders or shepherds. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey those who are over you, who rule over you. Be submissive to them, for they watch out for your souls. And so the church is composed of a group of individuals who are willing to submit their lives to the plan of God. Not simply doing what they see fit as they see fit, but doing what God has prescribed. What is the church? Well, it's the house of God, and that means we have an obligation to stand firm for the truth, to provide the support for the truth so that the truth can indeed be proclaimed. And that brings us to the third description. The church is the spokesman for God. In what way do we apply that? We apply that literally by proclaiming the gospel. The very purpose for us, as God has described it in Scripture, is not to hold His truth so closely that we don't share them with others, but rather to proclaim them so that others can come to know of the power of Jesus the Christ. If we do anything, we're supposed to share the gospel. Aren't we? Isn't that what Jesus told His followers to do? To go and make disciples of all the nations. Our task is to teach others about Christ. To proclaim the gospel. Thessalonians did that. The word of the Lord sounded forth from them. Our task is to do that as well. So what is the church? What's the house of God insofar as it supports and defends the truth? It is the flock of God insofar as its members Follow God's plan, including His structure over the local congregation. It is the spokesman for God insofar as its followers proclaim the will of God to those around. It is the family of God insofar as its members care for one another. One of the great blessings that you have in this life is to have a spiritual family. Sometimes our physical families fail us. Sometimes they turn their backs on us. But your spiritual family should not. It is a blessing to know that I have brothers and sisters in Christ who love me. Don't you feel that way? To know that people are willing to help bear your burdens. That people will weep with you when you weep. And that people will rejoice with you when you rejoice. A family. Family members should be concerned with one another. The writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews the third chapter in verse 13, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Family members help each other. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Family members have the obligation not merely to look out for themselves, but to look out for those who are in need. And so we extend our help to those who are helpless, to those who can't care for themselves. We are a family. And so if I'm talking to my friend about the church, I'm going to tell them about the house of God, but I'm going to tell them what the church's job is. We support the truth. We stand firm. I'm going to talk to them about being a flock of God, but importantly about submission, following God's plan and His leaders 
that are following His plan. I'm going to talk about speaking for God, but I'm going to point out that our job is to proclaim the gospel and not our own traditions or our own ideas. I'm going to talk to them about being a family and how the church is responsible for caring for its members and encouraging its members. And I'm going to talk to them about being a member of the body of Christ and what that means. It means that each of us have an obligation to do what we can. Many of you, especially those of you who have been here for a while, have a distinct advantage on me. I have probably been approached by five or six of you who have looked me in the eyes and have said, do you know who I am? (laughs) Now you all know who I am. My picture's out here on this sign. So it's not too hard to figure that out. I was ten years old when we left here. I'm the same age my dad was when he left here. If that tells you how time has gone by. I don't know what your gifts and your talents are. I know you have them. That's obvious. But all of us have different abilities, don't we? One of my favorite sections of Scripture is the parable of the talents. And I have perhaps a unique perspective on that. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is an imaginary character. He is Mr. Two-Talent. You want to know why? When we study the parable of the talents, we spend a great amount of time talking about Mr. Five-Talent. This is a man who obviously has great ability. And he uses that great ability and he serves his master well and he is rewarded greatly for it. And then we almost immediately shift our focus to Mr. One-Talent, this fellow who's got some ability but who's unwilling to use it, who's afraid, he hides the talent in the ground and he gives it back to the Lord in real fear. What we don't talk about is the fellow in the middle, Mr. Two-Talent. You know what Mr. Two-Talent does? He does what he can. He uses his two talents to earn two more talents. Do you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't do what a lot of folks would do today. A lot of folks would be given the two talents as he was, and they would start looking around. Well, I've got more than he has, but I don't have what he has. And you know, when they would notice that they didn't have the same gifts that the five-talent man had, they'd start to complain about that. What do you mean not giving me what you gave him? Don't you think that I have that ability? Don't you think that I can do what he can do? Not Mr. Two-Talent. He does not complain. He does what he can. We need churches filled with two-talent people. People who will use the abilities that they have to do the will of God. Do your part. The church is a body. We all have a role to play. The church is a bride. What does that mean? We must seek to be pure. I love what Revelation 19 says describing the bride of the Lamb. It says in verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. You know what our job as the church is? If I'm talking to my friend, one of the things that I'm going to tell him or her is that our task is to be pure. 
do that. By not adhering to traditions, by not simply following what others have said, but by simply trying to be the church for which Jesus died. What is the church? It's the house of God. It is the flock of God. The spokesman for God. The family of God. The body of Christ. And the bride of Christ. And it has a job. Now with all of that being said, what's my role? Let me share two or three very quick thoughts with you. Number one, we all have a responsibility to fulfill. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul describes the church like a physical body. And he tells us that not everyone has the same function. The eye does not do what the hand does. The hand does not do what the foot does. But if your body is functioning as it should, each part that you possess has a role. Your eye has to play a role, your hand has to play a role, and your hand shouldn't be jealous that it's not the eye, and your eye shouldn't be jealous that it's not the hand. Every part matters. You have a role to fill, and you have to do what you can. In John the 15th chapter, Jesus talks about that. Every branch, he says, in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more. You have a role. You have a job, a task that only you can fill. You are a branch if you have obeyed the gospel. And it's your responsibility to serve God. What's my role in the church? To realize my limitations. This perhaps is the hardest of all. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he provides us with something that is non-negotiable. The church belongs to Christ. It's not mine. I don't have the right to change it. And so when someone decides that they want to tweak something, we need to be reminded we have limitations. God's church as it has been designed is perfect. The worship of the church is perfect. It does not need us to change it. The organization of the church is perfect. It does not need our help. The work of the church is perfect. God has a plan that He expects for us to follow. The purpose of the church is perfect. The Savior of the church is perfect. Realize your limitations. What is the church? The church is the house of God. The church is the flock of God. The church is the spokesman for God. The church is the family of God. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And as all of those metaphors show us, the church has a role to fill. It's not just a gathering place. It's much, much more. It is the body of the saved. I don't know all of you here this morning, but I do know that Jesus died on the cross so that your sins could be washed away. 
you contact the blood that he shed through the waters of baptism. It might be the case that you have not done that. But you need to also realize that when you are baptized into Christ, you are baptized into his church. To be a part of the one body for which he died. If you have not obeyed the gospel, you have the opportunity. And if your life is not right in his sight, you can make it so. Come right now as together we stand and sing.